Thank you, Stephen Grocott, Managing Director and Chief Executive Officer with Queensland Pacific Metals, and I'm here with Dwayne Woodbury, Chief Financial Officer of QPM. QPM is developing the Townsville Energy Chemicals Hub project. That's a project just south of Townsville on the uh, far northeast coast of Australia. We will be importing uh, high-grade nickel laterite ore from New Caledonia from our mining partners, processing that through a relatively new process called the direct nickel process, which uses nitric acid leaching and recovery to produce high-purity battery chemicals, primarily nickel and cobalt sulfate that feed directly into cathode manufacture for lithium-ion batteries and also some co-products, some high-purity alumina, uh, hematite and some. Stephen, thank you very much for the introduction. Nice to meet you. Uh, Dwayne, good to meet you too. Um, <clears throat> what a story. It's a, it's a, it's a really interesting thing, kind of bringing the, the, the ore from New Caledonia and then processing it in, um, uh, in Townsville. Uh, when I first looked at this, I, it really struck me that this was a kind of a transformation process, kind of an energy play from, um, you know, the, the, the it, it's a, it's a technology and an energy mix to get the, um, the, the metal out of the ore. And you've just um signed a gas deal which surprised me it was kind of quite an uh opening up the presentation on the um Moramba. it's suddenly turning you into a gas producing company um it's a transformational uh acquisition for you uh, i'd i'd love to hear your kind of uh, a, a quick summary about it and what the strategic rationale for it was Yes, yeah, so I'll just give some overview and then uh, uh, pass over to Duane, who led the charge with um, the uh, general manager of uh, Queensland Pacific Metals Energy um, on the acquisition of the Murrumbah Gas Project. But essentially, uh, our process, quite simply, is take some ore, take some nitric acid, take some energy, turn that into the high-purity battery chemicals. Uh, all nickel processing, nickel laterite processing uh, processes uh, are moderately energy intensive. The high pressure acid leaching and our project are down near the bottom end of that, but they still require quite a bit of energy. So you need a relatively secure, relatively low cost energy supply. Through the... Can I... Yes. Sorry, just just, just to ask, when you talk about um, um, how much of the, kind of the operating cost is, is energy input as a kind of a, as a rough guide? Uh, between one quarter and one third of the energy of the operating cost. Um, so the ore cost and the energy cost are our primary costs. They're probably one third each. So you do need um, access to quite a bit of gas for our project. We need about uh, 12 petajoules of gas to run the project. It's uh, mostly thermal energy, so it's for uh, drying ore and uh, raising steam for the heating processes. Uh, it's a small electricity user. So you need secure energy supply, relatively low-cost energy supply. The MGP, Murrumbah Gas Project Acquisition, provides that security and it provides a relatively low cost. I'll let Duane talk about that uh, more in a moment. But most importantly, that gas supply comes from some of the world's highest-grade metallurgical coal mines. They're quite gassy. Currently, those mines flare and vent nearly all of the gas that they have to dispose of for safety reasons. The open-cut mines, of course, it just uh, vents naturally. So 
that gas is a stranded asset. It's not connected to the Australian gas pipeline network. However, there is a gas pipeline that runs from them to Townsville, straight past the eastern boundary of our plant. So we have a what is a stranded asset, and therefore it's not subject to the volatility, and currently the volatility is all in the upwards direction, of course. It's not subject to those high price inflations that we've seen around the world in gas prices. So that's a, an absolute win for us. Coupled with that, like the rest of the world, Australia is reducing its greenhouse gas emissions. A substantial component of that is through flaring and venting of methane from coal mines. And these coal mines are subject to a mandated, legislated annual reduction in their greenhouse gas emissions of 4.9% a year. There's no real way for them to do that, apart from uh, the white knight called QPM Energy, who has acquired the rights to capture and to uh, process that gas and send it to an end user, us being the main end user, but there are other end users that we will service as well. But I'll let Duane uh, give more detail if you want. Um, I, we will come to you, Duane. I, I, I promise. But just just while we're on on the kind of the high level stuff, um, in terms of the gas pipeline, uh, I, I see in your presentation it's the NQGP, presumably that's the North Queensland gas pipeline, um, that goes from the from the coalfields up to Townsville. Um, what was that pipeline for, and why is it empty at the moment? <laughs> A very good question. It was built to supply gas to the now shut down Queensland nickel refinery that was uh, under various owners, including um, BHP, who sold it to Clive Palmer. Uh, that shut down in 2016. It's a very old energy intensive process. Um, it has quite a significant environmental footprint, uh, a huge tailings footprint. That shut down, and that was a big customer for the gas. It was built primarily uh, to supply them with gas. They shut down, no customer. So that gas pipeline has a capacity which is probably um, you know, three times what we require for our project. So there's ample capacity. Stephen, I might just also add that when the Murabar project was initially constructed, the other customer was a power station called the Tansville Power Station. Um, which was at the time a baseload 240 megawatt power station, which was being fed by the waste gas from the Murabar field. Um, that is still in operation, and with the acquisition, we will have the rights to dispatch power through the TPS by the gas that we provide. But the underinvestment in the fields that we've acquired and the lack of, um, I suppose, incentive for the miners to reduce their gas emissions until now has meant that there hasn't been uh, basically any gas flowing through the pipeline to the power station. That will change dramatically um, from when we take control of the asset. Um, how is the Townsville power station uh, currently being powered? You know, what's its energy source? Uh, gas from the Murabar project is its own energy source, and it's used as a peaking power station between the hours of around 5 p.m. and 11 p.m. at night. Um, and that uh, and that is how the energy source for that, that power station um, is is used. And I should also add that North Queensland, where we're located, um, is a very renewable energy intensive area with solar and wind. Um, but the firming and the peaking areas is what it lacks. 
and the Townsville Power Station provides that service for the electricity grid in northern Queensland. So it's a gas-fired power station, Merlin, without a, a significant gas supply, and uh, our acquisition of the MGP solves that. So you've um, on your website, you've got a um, there's a kind of a presentation. There's a there's a a presentation on the Moorumbah gas acquisition, and in it, it shows that it's currently producing ten petajoules of gas per annum. Is that it? it, it Okay, so so there is gas flowing through that pipeline. It's just a small amount. And most of that uh, 10 petajoules, about seven of it, uh, goes to the Incitec pivot uh, ammonium nitrate plant, and that doesn't flow from through that pipeline. Um, the Dino ammonium nitrate plant was constructed, uh, I think it was 2012, 2013, to supply explosives to the surrounding coal mines at Nuremberg. And seven petajoules of that 10 petajoules goes directly to that plant um, for the production of ammonia nitrate rather than go to the Townsville Power Station by the pipeline. The, 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 gas, the, 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 the gas fields produce 10, uh, seven stay very close to that for the ammonia nitrate for the, for the fertilizer industry. And there's a kind of a trickle that comes through the, through the, the, the main pipeline towards the Townsville Power Station. So um, it, it, it's a relatively uh, mature gas source. I mean, it, you, it, it talks about there being over 110 wells. Um, there's also the, the the financial aspect of it that you had you paid five million dollars to purchase the asset, but also you received 30 million dollars in terms of um, 35 million dollars in terms of um, working capital. So it's a net $30 million kind of cash injection for you as a company. Are you now effectively a gas company with a nickel business tax on the side? I mean, just in terms of bandwidth for the next couple of months until you bed this down? Um, absolutely not. We're primarily a nickel cobalt refining project business, and the gas is an integrated part of that. Um, it is a small in terms of number of employees, etc., um, that we are taking on. Um, and so our focus remains on nickel and cobalt refining. And the energy business will be integrated into that over the next three to four months and then beyond once we get the fields performing at higher levels. Um, is it going to require a bigger team? Is it going to require more capital? Um, the, 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 and the beauty of this, this field, it's very simple. Over a billion dollars has been spent on this field over the last 20 years. It has capacity, which is twice what we need for the tech project in terms of harvesting, processing, and transportation. Uh, it has been run by a very good infield team, stable team for 10 years plus, and we basically inherit all of those advantages. And we will put in place a fit-for-purpose operating model which will not only reduce the costs, but take advantage of some opportunities that we can see to increase production at very, very modest capital costs to ensure that the financial performance continues to grow over the next two years as the refinery gets constructed. So Merlin, the, all of the capital and equipment is sitting there well-maintained and relatively idle. So that's all the gas dehydration, gas compression, etc. All of that is there and, and functioning. And uh, let's go back to, you mentioned it in your introduction, 
uh, about the requirement, the legal requirement to uh, capture this flare gas. Um, you've also you've got a phrase in your presentation which I didn't fully understand: safeguard facilities. Could you just talk to me a, a bit more about that, please? So the um, Australian government has had legislation passed which requires large emitters and large is defined as more than 100,000 tonnes CO2 equivalent emissions per year. So large emission uh, emitters have to reduce their emissions by 4.9% per year or you know, render the cash to purchase the certificates to account for that. So it's a mandated legislated reduction of 4.9% per year in their CO2 equivalent emissions. That legislation is called the safeguard mechanism and any site which is captured by that is called a safeguard site. So around the Moranbar gas project is Australia's largest concentration of safeguard sites. So not only do we sit and uh, with a very large stranded gas asset there. We've got a very large collection of sites which are captured by this legislation and have to find a way to reduce their emissions. So the gas comes to us. They are no longer flaring it or no longer venting it. That is their reduction mechanism. And how do they? How do? They, how does that work on an annual basis? I mean, that's 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 a pretty tough ask i mean because yeah, the, the compound annual growth is is a, a very powerful mechanism and five percent per annum reduction or 4.9 percent per annum per annum production is is mind-boggling in a few years time that accumulates how does that work well i just look it's it's simple that they are forced to reduce their carbon emissions by 4.9 percent on the renewed base as it goes down um, and the significant, it is a significant reduction that they're required to do. If not, they can purchase credits for $75 a tonne as an offset where they don't meet their mechanism or the legislative reductions, but that's a very expensive outcome. A much better outcome is to have someone take that gas off lease who can use it for beneficial purposes or for electricity generation, which would meet that 5% safeguard site, um, safeguard site reduction. Um, and we have the infrastructure in place now. Um, so if they wish to do that through us, they can actually achieve their objectives for a number of years to come. But Merlin, you're right. A 4.9% annual reduction across those fields, that, that's enough to supply um, our gas. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, I, I, mean, I, I get it. It's good for you guys. Um, and it's good for... And it's good, in a sense, for the for the, for the wider energy balance. That, that all makes sense. It does make me think, though, in the long run, that uh, they won't be able to 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 maintain a five percent reduction on an annual basis, you know, beyond a few years, because you just can't do that. And and really, it seems to me that this is a kind of a we might be entering into the realm of. Uh, un the law of unintended consequences and that there might be financial penalties which will just drive up the cost of things that require metallurgical coal such as steel or uh, other um, goods but that's a, that's a whole nother conversation and uh, about the the <laughs> government law and uh, and introducing schemes which seemed like a good idea at the time. Yeah, it's uh, very similar to uh, the consequences of the uh, European Commission. Uh, carbon border border adjustment mechanism 
where there is a mandated reduction in the EU that drives up their costs. However, to make sure that there's not carbon leakage, in other words, energy intensive industries going to countries which don't have those requirements, there is a, a border adjustment mechanism. Um, similar things are being looted in many of the developed countries around the world. So yes, that will drive up cost for steel production, but um, you know that flows through the flows through the whole system, regardless of whatever scenario you look at where where benefit uh, we benefit from. Yeah. Okay. Let's 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 park the problematic government legislation to one side, and let's just focus on the fact that you've got secure, uh, low cost or kind of um, steady cost. Uh, supply you kind of in, in a sense you control the the the, the pricing on that it, it's it's the cost of operations which should be stable am i correct correct that's correct yes it's uh effectively we'll be delivering cost plus gas or cost gas into lansdowne road um, so the cost of producing and collecting and transporting that uh that energy and are there any mechanisms where you can kind of monetize the spare gas to reduce your cost base I think that the main opportunity is we have the right to effectively toll our gas through the Townsville power station and generate electricity for sale, which is to our account. So excess gas above and beyond our requirements will be used to generate that electricity, um, which in peaking times is a very attractive source of revenue for us. So it's worthwhile pointing out, Merlin, that this acquisition of the Murumba gas project is supported by three partners. Uh, the owners of the North Queensland gas pipeline, um, the Incitec Pivot, Dino Nobel ammonium nitrate plant, and the Townsville Power Station uh, owners. So we're all in this together because we all see that there's a very large pie and there's much sharing to be done in that value. And part of the value to us is, as Duane explained, the rights to that electricity production. So we increase the gas supply to the starved Townsville Power Station. That means more peaking power generated, and of course, peaking power sells at a very nice price. Thank you. Now let's let's take all of that and let's have another look at the the, the nickel cobalt refining plan. In terms of um, when will you be able to uh, refine the capital cost estimates, or perhaps more importantly, the operating cost estimates, in a way that the market can understand it. So the uh, capital cost estimates are being refined. We're going through value engineering exercises and we've got independent technical experts appointed by our debt providers are uh, going through us with a fine tooth comb at the moment. That's uh, driving us to uh, do a very, very detailed uh, capital and schedule uh, estimate, et cetera, et cetera. All the usual stuff, but uh, to a higher degree. So that's progressing well. We aim to... Uh, complete all that in September, October. Um, in terms of the operating cost, that's uh, pretty clear. That That's not really changing. It's about minus uh, 25 cents per pound of nickel because of the co-product credits. So if you take the, the nickel, you add the credits from uh, the cobalt, high-purity aluminum, the hematite, and the various rats and mice of other minor byproducts, we end up with a negative um, OPEX. Um, there's not you know, the real nickel, if they're able to sell outside of Russia, uh, they're substantially negative uh, C1 cost because of their uh, PGM byproducts. Uh, we are also negative C1 cost. Um, 
which is quite an extraordinary uh, situation to be in. Um, coming back to the capital costs, and uh, you may you're doing the 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 detailed work now, the kind of the fine tuning. But what are the the large, the kind of the headline figures, the 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 broad brush um, previous estimates? So the yeah, so in November we had an advanced uh, feasibility study where we announced uh, capital costs Australian dollars. 1.9 billion Australian plus 10% contingency. So for about 2.1 billion Australian, that was announced in November. We're going through the value engineering. Uh, and uh, important thing, we announced a partnership last week with uh, three major German equipment suppliers. They're our, our main equipment suppliers. It's a company called Klinker, who's a subsidiary of KBR that most listeners would be aware of. Siemens, of course, they're well known and Andritz, who are one of the world's largest uh, separation uh, equipment and technology companies. So we announced the partnerships with them. They're going through all of their uh, engineering and cost estimation at the moment to refine those estimates down to the level that our debt providers need. Uh, in, in, in the last conversation you had with uh, Crux, with Matt, uh, a couple of months ago, you spoke about kind of a project finance split of uh, 50 to 60 percent uh, project financed and uh, by implication 40 to 50 percent uh, by uh, th through equity but if you're um, you've already got 1.4 billion dollars of commitment Aussie dollars with conversations going on with a, a number of extra banks so that that looks as if it's taking up to the 70 to 75% mark rather than, or 65 to 75% range rather than the 50 to 60. Am, am I, is, is that the right uh, trajectory? Um, I, I think, yeah, bear in mind um, on top of the uh, capital plus contingencies, there is the cost of financing, um, interest cost during construction and those elements. So um, the $1.4 billion number was our target for the debt. Um, we're always looking for additional sources to scale banks back or the old T plus one or T plus two. Um, so that's what we're continuing to move down the path of. But that $1.4 billion is a number that we were targeting um, to reach and uh, we've got there um, on a conditional basis with the announcement with Yellow Hermes and KFW. But of your market capitalization of 245-ish Aussie, that still leaves quite a a step up in terms of the the equity component. Let's say it's um, I don't know uh, eight hundred or um, eight hundred million or a billion. Uh, is, am I am I right? Yeah, it'll 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 it'll, it'll you know there's quite a chunk of equity to come. Yeah, I I think the way that that you look at this is threefold, Merlin. Um, the first is that. We have strategic cornerstone shareholders who will participate in that final raise. And we've disclosed already that General Motors has a commitment of 44 million US dollars as part of their offtake agreement uh, at the time of what we call the FID raise. Um, and there's other strategic investors who will most likely come alongside them. Um, the second point is that it is an asset, both from a carbon abatement perspective with our energy supply and our nickel cobalt supply into the EV market, uh, which is a great appeal to some very large institutional investors globally, uh, which we have been having very detailed discussions and will continue to. 
So there is demand for opportunities to invest of scale and substance um, for this area of technology. And the third point is that we have a very loyal shareholder base in Australia, um, which have been supporting us for a long time and will continue to support us as the capital raising initiatives closer to the time of uh, reaching final investment decision become clear. Uh, when you when you mention these strategics, uh, are, are those strategics on your shareholder register? And if they are, could you just remind me of, of, of who they are? Well, our, our major strategic, our largest shareholders are General Motors with 9.9% and LG and POSCO with a combined 7.1%, 7.2%. They are our two off-take partners uh, for both stage one and stage two and uh, our key sort of equity holders at this point in time. Um, there's other opportunities from a strategic perspective that obviously we will be looking at, but that's all part of what the next six or eight months will bring Merlin. And uh, yeah, at this point, we're still sort of formulating how that will all play out. It's funny, isn't it? Um, one of the um, harder things to do is to raise a small amount of money. Um, but when you're actually talking about a robust plan, um, with scale and and long mine life, actually the, the 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 big allocations of capital sometimes fall into place um, with no. I mean, it's always hard work, but um, with it's it's just as hard to do a small raise as it is to do a big raise. Yeah, it's uh, you know that need to be careful how I express this because I don't want to be too critical of of certain countries and their approach, but. Uh, the world needs nickel for its uh, electrification, particularly electric vehicles. So the world needs that nickel. Where's it coming from? There's only one place at the moment. That's the China-Indonesia consortium. The capital intensity of our plant, if you look on an apples-for-apples apples basis, on a nickel-equivalent basis, our capital intensity is less. We have absolutely stellar ESG credentials. If you want to be selling battery-grade, nickel and cobalt into North America and the European Union. You've got to have a clean supply. So what we've got is a tier one jurisdiction, stellar ESG credentials and a low capital intensity uh, by comparison with the HPL plants when you include their refining capital. So it's all stacked in our favour. It doesn't mean that that equity plug is going to be an easy thing to achieve. We have to keep uh, demonstrating to the market and to our strategic partners and to our shareholders and to future investors that this is a project that is not just going to sail, it's, it's going to soar. Yeah, uh, it, 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 it's never easy raising money. Um, <clears throat> but uh, my goodness, when you look at HPAL projects, uh, for, and, I mean, it's, it's, it's high-pressure acid leaching. I mean, there's, there's, there's a clue in the name. I mean, these things are corrosive and energy-intensive and um, pretty nasty um, um. They, uh, I have worked on a number of them. They are tricky. Uh, it can be done right. Um, and most of the failures is because people cut corners. The ones that succeeded did not cut corners, and they're the ones who tend to have some of the higher capital intensities. The Chinese know how to how to do it right, but obviously they leave out all the ESG capital around effluent treatment and uh, tailings management. But if you add in the effluent treatment and the tailings management costs, um, you know, the capital intensity of those plants is very high. You can do HPAL, but it is very expensive, a full stop. Um, so that's what that's our competitor. And looking at the full kind of ESG 
um, chain, uh, the the where the ore is sourced, uh, you know, what's your responsibility on that? I mean, is there marine disposal of tailings? Um, what, what, what's what's the uh, your responsibility on the provenance of your material? Uh, we share that responsibility with our mining partners, and New Caledonia, of course, is a French territory and is subject to extremely high standards, um, and they've been doing this for many, many decades. So these are miners who have excellent practices, rehabilitation. Uh, they don't have all the problems that you have in Indonesia, where they've got uh, you know, runoff and sediment into freshwater streams and into coastal environments and damaging coral reefs and, and indigenous populations and so forth. So it's effectively... Uh, French environmental laws being applied in New Caledonia. Um, they're, they're excellent miners and have been for many, many decades. Um, the other aspects of it, they don't have tailings to, to manage. They are miners. The ore that we mine is a very, it's a very shallow ore, some of it even outcrops. So there's a, a small amount of overburden to be removed. And uh, then the next part is the laminate ore, the high iron ore that we will process. Beneath that is the saprolite ore, which is the high magnesium ore, which tends to go to nickel pig iron and ferro-nickel smelters. Currently, that top part of the ore has a limited market, and we're providing that. And it'll get loaded. Um, is there any beneficiation or any enrichment or concentration prior to... Um, loading and then being shipping to Townsville. No, no, it's a, it's a you know, shippable ore. So it's it's, it's good. It, it's there's virtually no processing to be done. Some of the HPL plants and HPL plant would have processing to remove the high magnesium uh, rocks that are in there because that consumes their sulfuric acid and they can't regenerate it. We're not so fussy because you know. If we've got some magnesium in there and it consumes our nitric acid, we're regenerating the nitric acid anyway and selling the magnesium byproducts. So it's all all a wash for us. And do you um, have a uh, an understanding of the proportions of limonite ore to saprolite ore that'll be coming your way, or are you agnostic? No, that's a part of the ore supply specifications that we have with the three miners. And, it, and, you know, they, they've been doing that for decades. They were selling uh, that ore to the Queensland nickel refinery before it shut down, and we're dealing with some of those same miners still. <laughs> uh, I'm, sure you, I'm sure you got to spend some time on the Great Barrier Reef while you were there. I visited the refinery about 20 years ago. It was a good good site visit. have <laughs> I didn't actually. I didn't. I was. Um, I, I went to Australia and I went one and a half times round in about ten days in a small aeroplane. It was. We were just, um, um, charging round it. Well, this is this is one of our hidden advantages. Um, we are not a hardship location. You know, we're just south of a, a town of two hundred thousand people and a highly skilled workforce, um, university school. And we sit in a tourism mecca on the edge of the Great Barrier Reef. It is not a hardship posting. If we can't find the skilled workforce that we need there or the construction workforce, um, 
you're not sending people out to the out to the desert in a hostile location. It's great for families, and it's uh, great for leisure. Oh, well, I had a, a very, very um, informative and enjoyable trip, although no downtime when I went to Australia. Um, <clears throat> um, thank you. It's been a really interesting um, conversation for me. I've learned a huge amount about the integration of the, um, of, of the gas project, uh, about the approach you're taking on the financing. Um, could you perhaps summarize what the 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 rest of the year is going to look like in terms of kind of what you view as being the value catalyst because presumably you think your company is worth more than it is uh, being traded at the moment yes i mean it is very few company mds or cfos who would not uh, say the same thing but um you know the evidence is uh the the growth in the nickel market is stellar much of that growth is going to occur to supply North America and the EU, and they require clean nickel and cobalt supply. Uh, they are not going to get that out of um, Indonesia, China, unless they substantially increase their capital spend. So we're a tier one safe jurisdiction that ticks all of the ESG boxes and more. We're relatively low capital intensity as we complete our value engineering and more detailed engineering with our equipment supply partners over the next few months we'll refine that capital estimate our independent technical expert uh, working on behalf of the debt providers will complete their their review so and as we're able to disclose all of this start to see that uh, we believe that the market will see what the value proposition is of the tech project combined with outstanding ore supply partners and a gas supply partner who happens to be ourself now um, that's a, a serious plus uh, Duane, i don't know if you want to add to that no i, I think it's that merlin i think you'll see in the next seven or eight months till we reach final investor decision a steady de-risking of the project um, and hence uh, an increase in the implicit value of the project and indeed the gas supply chain i think you can look forward to some very positive stream of announcement over the next six months related to our energy supply today, which will add direct benefits to both the tech project as well as to other um, supplies we have for that uh, for that energy. So I think you'll see between the two of them uh, a significant de-risking in the lead up to the FID, which will obviously make um, the funding uh, a much easier task than where we sit here today. So Merlin, one of the the, the things that we're best at um, should be noted for is choosing good partners. You know, we've chosen Altilium Group, the technology owners we we have a license from, the best technology for doing this. We've got some of the biggest equipment suppliers, advanced technology suppliers in this game. Uh, Soul source supplier relationships with these guys, they are partnering with us and doing engineering work on us. Our financing partners, our export credit agencies from around the world, our engineering partner in Hatch is one of the leading uh, developers of mineral processing plant designs, hydrometallurgical plant designs. Our gas partners and consortium there are of the four of four of us counting ourselves. We have great partners and when you choose good partners and you align the interests, it's a lot easier to, to kick gold. Good. Well, uh, gentlemen, thank you very much for the interview today and uh, good luck with the year ahead. Thank you, Merlin. Thank you very much, Merlin.